this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, the weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 74 and recording on Friday, October 10th. I'm Jeff O'Neill and I'm here, like here, here. Here, like same room. Same room with Rebecca Shinsky. We're the editors of BookRiot.com. We sound a little different this week because we're using this mic for two people. And we're just not used to being this close. Yeah, and we don't know where to talk or look or what to do with our hands. Um, So here we are. Hi. 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 Deep in the heart of, of Brooklyn. So um, you're in town for Comic-Con. I am. My first New York Comic-Con. And it was nuts. It was bananas. <laughs> so it's Friday today. Right. Yesterday was Thursday. And is I, that how the days work? That is, in fact, how, how, how calendars before work. Thursday, what's that? Wednesday, oh, okay, I, I think. I've been wondering about this for a um, while. Yeah. So I, I learned yesterday that traditionally Comic-Con is Friday and Saturday and that they would open at like three o'clock on Thursday as preview day and just have a couple hours where people could come in and see the floor and it would not be as insane. But this year it opened at noon. So from like 12 to two, it felt about like book Mm -hmm. expo feels in terms of how many people were there. And then by four o'clock, the, all the hallways that I was in were very crowded and I'm a short lady. So I was throwing elbows, which I'm doing right now sitting here but only flapping my chicken wings and and throwing elbows but it was cool like there were so many people in costume and it was an excellent reminder about how big the universe of comics is like I think I can recognize about three percent of mm. the costumes um, but cool tons of stuff big sponsors lots of people and I'm sure this afternoon will be even crazier yeah, so that's a good reminder that we have a comic site now. Oh, yeah, that's why we're that's doing why we're there. Comic-Con. Panels.net, comics, graphic novels, all the things mm-hmm. comics-related. Go all check things that comics. Out. And the panels podcast, which is called O-Comics, mm. will launch in a couple weeks. The first episode will come out on October 19th. Oh, and speaking of illustrated things, my guest on the Reading Lives podcast this week is Peter Mendelson, who is a big-time... Yeah, fancy Pants. Fancy Pants book designer. And for those of you who subscribe to our quarterly box, the author of What We See When We Read. Yes, so we which is awesome. Very interesting fella. He's a cool actually. guy. He, he got most of his reading materials as a kid from his grandparents. Oh, really? Yeah, so he was reading Dostoevsky at like 12. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. This makes sense. He's a very, yeah, very cerebral fellow. But also drops a couple of F-bombs, which is nice. So he's, he can go high and low. Um, Did you have to bleep those? I haven't decided what I'm doing yet. Hmm. Anyway, well, tune in. You can tell if I bleep. Um, <laughs> There'll be, the, there'll be the part with the, the buzzers. Let's do one follow-up before we do our first sponsor. I screwed up last week because I assumed that the um, the Women in Lit Project in Canada, that's kind of like their version mm-hmm. of Vita. Yeah. I assumed it was a government sponsored. It is not. It is a nonprofit. So, so there we go. Thank you, Aaron Wonker. Let us know yes, on Twitter. You. Thanks for the helpful information. Yeah, I, I was wrong to assume that everything in Canada is good. Occasionally you're wrong about a thing. I know, I know. It's like, but I've got to have a clean track record from now until the Rio Olympics. <laughs> like, my... if only Twitter would just back me up every time I thought. <laughs> Twitter, can you just, can Jeff be wrong more? More often. I can work on that for you a little. It's kind of like the, in the 
China patterns where they make little flaws just because perfection is affronts the gods. I try not. That's my problem. Is that a strategic wrongness? Yeah, right. You yeah, you meant to I do don't want to be smote by a It makes people deity. feel more comfortable. That's right. <laughs> um, let's do our first sponsor, Random House Audio is back. Do you need more motivation for your next workout? I always do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or any workout. Or if you're working on a craft project. Mm-hmm. You're knitting. That's crafts, right? That is knitting. Scrapbooking. Mm-hmm. Needlepoint is also a craft. Yes. Embroidery. Any models. Yeah. Model airplanes. Yes, model airplanes. You could do that. Uh, what else? Uh, what else is craft? Oh, quilting. If you're building wood projects in. If you're Ron Swanson, you would like audio Or if you're uh, Mark Harmon in NCIS, and you're working on that boat. What audio book do you think Ron Swanson would listen to? Hmm. I don't know. Hemingway, maybe? No. Oh, Thoreau. Oh. Survivalist yes. stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I like that. Thomas Jefferson, uh, Ben Franklin's diaries. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, how to slaughter a pig. <laughs> Slaughtering, uh, butchery for dummy, dummies. Oh, but no, but Ron Swanson would be reading like advanced. Advanced level. butchery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to, or if you're taking a long drive, holidays are coming up. Mm-hmm. If you're on a flight, I love an audiobook. Oh. A flight makes it so much better. I took the train up for this trip and I listened to the back half of um, Rob Lowe's memoir. Ah on the train and it was lovely and wonderful is his memoir called yes i really don't age or what's like the name of it <laughs> it's called stories i only tell oh, my okay. friends right. that's the first one but yeah yeah okay. it was good it's real good someone on twitter um told me that they tried my suggestion of listening to an audiobook during a baseball game huh. but i didn't hear how it went so if, so that, if that's you let us know it was. um so that's good you can try that as well so if you go to trainaudiobooks.com you can find your favorite author newest bestseller some way to give your routine a fresh perspective yeah, they have a cool tool also where you can put in how long of an audiobook yep. you're looking for and some other parameters about what you're interested in and then it will spit out recommendations of random house audiobooks that fit that thing so you know, like there's always that calculus of I'm going on an eight hour drive. Mm-hmm. Do I want a five hour audio book that I can finish or do I want like a 10 hour audio book that'll be great and that I'll have to finish when I get home? Yeah. Sorry, also, if I'm you're like cooking, gesturing wildly. No, no, the table, I think it's picking it up a little bit. But it, <laughs> anyway, this, you know what? This is live, live to tape. This is part of the experience. Also, it's cooking season. Thanksgiving, yeah, right. Christmas, baking. Mm-hmm. Put an audiobook on yep. while you're cooking. Stay Very in soothing. The kitchen. Um, that would be, you know, we should have someone do an audiobook to listen to while you're cooking. We should. Post. That would someone, be will idea. That. someone will do that. Um, so there you go. Go to trialbooks.com and find something great and start listening today. Thanks so much for sponsoring this show and Book Ride in general. All right. Surveys? Where do you want Surveys. to go? Surveys. Yeah, let's do the debut novel deals first. Get that out of the way. Okay. Or, yeah. yeah, we can do that. So the Frankfurt Book Fair is going. So we're going to have to go to this at some point. Someday. Someday. It's kind of like Shangri-La, but it's the, I think it's the big sort of book fair for the world, right? Like it's Frankfurt the is the big Yeah, one. it's the biggest one. Um, like international rights some of them, Yeah, right. And some of the biggest deals happen there. And there were two big time deals mm-hmm. so far. I'm sure there have yeah. been others, but these two seven figure deals, which means a million plus yeah, dollars. for a debut novel. It's Both huge. debuts, right? Mm-hmm. So these are two debut novels that are getting million dollar plus deals. The first is called Girls, and it's by... Kate Medina. Oh, no, it was acquired by Kate, Kate Medina, Medina at Random House. Uh, let's see. Emma Klein is the name of the author. She's 25 years old. And it's a three-book deal. Three-book deal, right. Um, and it got optioned by Scott Rudin huh. before the novel had a deal. And Scott Rudin is... 
you know, one of the big yeah. time Hollywood. I think he's done like Saving Private Ryan and things like that. Oh, it's like a Manson, the Manson family, family novel. novel. It makes yeah. no. I'm in. Yeah, you're yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, can I, that, or I'm in on the idea. Yeah. I don't know if I actually read it, but that's a good idea. Yeah, I don't know if that rings enough of my culty fiction yeah. bells, mm-hmm. but I'm interested. And it says it makes no direct mentions of Manson, but the inspiration for the work is clearly the murderous cult right. of the 1960s. So it's like what they're the story from their perspective and how yeah. all those things would work out. Oh, and it got compared to Philip Roth's American Pastoral and Mohsin Hamid's Reluctant Fundamentalist. Oh, whoa. That's... Those are big. Okay. Well, that's a that's a big book. Yeah, I'm, inter- um, I'm definitely interested in that now. The I other mean, one is called The Longings of Jenda Jonga. Mm-hmm. Boy, I'm, I'm sure I horribly butchered that. We can that. mispronounce this for yeah. the next three years. And, and this is from a 33-year-old Cameroon-born debut novelist. Let's see. Where's the more? Where's the more? All the way down at the bottom? Uh, it's an immigrant tale. Oh, and the author's name is Imbolo Mbwe. Is that how you say that MB construction? I think so. Yeah, Mbwe. Uh, the Longs of Jenda Janga. Yenda Yanga? I don't know. New York City in 2007 and focused on the West African immigrant of its title who lands a job as a chauffeur. Um, oh, it's compared to Chimamande, Ngozi Adichie, and Jhumpa Lahiri. I'm in on that one. Yeah, I, I'm definitely I want to read this book yesterday. Um, so that's... Those are... They're two big lit fic titles, mm-hmm. I guess. I, you know, when I first saw the headline, I was expecting it to be YA. Oh, Tells you something about our... Interesting, yeah. YA, million-dollar... YA, these are million-dollar literary fiction yeah. titles. Well, the what the last time I remembered a deal this big was, like, mm-hmm. the art of... For fiction was, like, the art of fielding. Well, remember that guy who sold the book about the fire in New York? Oh, right. It's like 800 pages long. It's coming out next year, I think. He got a million bucks for that. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. So we don't do too much deal talk on this. Yeah. Well, there's not often seven figures for literary fiction. I mean, that's a a big bet. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fun to watch the marketing on these two. Like, that was. To get the advertise on the show. Hey, if you're listening. Yeah, if you're listening out there and you got. We got airtime for it. Art of Fielding came out, the book deal for it seemed like it was just as big a part of the story as yeah. the book itself. 2009? Was 2008? 10, 20 Before I was blogging, I think. Oh, I was. Okay, I was blogging. So maybe yeah, 2009. 2009. Um, but there was. So the book came out, and there was an ebook original that the publisher, I think it was Hachette, right. um, put out an ebook original about like the making of a bestseller before the book was even, even out. out. Like they were no. so certain from their multi, you know, million, yeah, multi-million dollar investment in the book that uh, it was going to be a bestseller that they people put out. People still talk about yeah. I hear people talk about that book from yeah. time to time. Right. Did you read it? I did read it. It was good. I it was good. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I'm not trying to throw dollars at something else, yeah. but it was good. Definitely, definitely good. It's about baseball in the Midwest. Yeah. Like, what do you want from me? And I saw Chad Chad Harbuck was at a thing in Richmond a few years ago. He was very nice. Yeah. I'm happy with nice people who yes. write good books, getting millions of dollars. That's fine. We like that too. Uh, all right, so let's go back up to this survey because it, would, it wouldn't be a good podcast. <laughs> I read at least one survey. <laughs> it would feel very strange. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting project. Um, in Columbus, Ohio, the library decided to put 
together a project for the 21st century. So the Columbus Metropolitan Library asked its Facebook followers to give them 10 words each, five to describe the library of their youth mm. and five to describe the library of the future, 20 this years from now. This is so interesting. Yeah. So they define I'm future. I'm step on your punchline, but walk me through. Yeah, yeah, they describe future as 20 years from now. Yeah. So then they built word clouds, which show you know the most common words appear bigger in the clouds, and then the least common words show up smaller. And so for the libraries of their youth, mm -hmm. the big words, books is the biggest, yeah. research. Not that much smaller, I have to say, research. Yeah, research, then quiet, mm -hmm. then reading. Uh, and then you see information, homework, Yeah, then it's kind education. of a nine-way tie for the And then there's a bunch of other tiny ones yeah. like encyclopedia or history. Study. So books so, research, books research are kind of 1A, yeah. 1 and 1A. Yeah, books research, quiet, quiet reading, reading B, and together. everything else from there you can kind of... And then the word cloud for the library of the future 20 years from now. The biggest one is community. And technology. Community is the biggest one. Technology is slightly smaller. Mm -hmm. And then information and books are side by side. Uh -huh. and oh, actually, research is bigger than information and books, it looks like. It's tough to yeah. tell. It's, it's right in there. But that sounds right to me. I think so, too. And it's interesting to me that library users, like presumably the people who follow the Columbus Library on yeah. Facebook, are using sure. the Columbus Library. Right, they're engaging with it in some way. Yeah. But that they're thinking about what the, what the purpose that their library mm -hmm. serves is and that it's it is a hub for community and technology and uh, books are still prominent here yeah. but they're not the only like thing. The thing yeah kinda. reading is still relatively prominent but so is meeting mm -hmm. and access Entertainment is on there yeah too. the word access, access i think is like a third tier maybe size Do you also notice how many more words there are yeah. in total about the library of the future then i mean i'd say there's at least twice as many mm -hmm. words mentioned when we talk a lot on the show about initiatives that are mm -hmm. you know happening to move libraries into being more than just the source of information and more than just the place where you get books to really be community centers and that librarians are thinking strategically about mm -hmm. becoming the centers of their community and providing services to underserved people who don't have access like to the internet in other places or who don't know how to fill mm -hmm. out an online job application or make a resume, something like that. So it's cool to me to see that library patrons recognize that, that they can see mm -hmm. how their library works. Well, if they can't well. see it, that's just what they want. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not even, yeah, I don't know. So. Yeah, there's so many things I wonder, like, I want to find all these people and ask them mm -hmm. again, you know, like, so this community thing, is that what you want the library to be in 20 years? Or is it just what you think is like, is this where you think things are going? Mm -hmm. Or is it where you want things to go? Or is it both? Yeah, I think that's super fast. I linked to something last week that we didn't talk about on the show is a librarian's Tumblr. And he was thinking about, you know, in terms of how libraries think about funding, they think about spaces and mm -hmm. resources. Mm -hmm. And he was talking to people, and they were thinking in terms of communities and activities, oh, yeah. and just a different way of, of thinking about it. Well, I have to admit, like uh, the the idea of having a local library that caters to community and technology and space mm -hmm. is way more appealing to my local, which is mostly just shelves and a few. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I'm maybe unusual in that I buy a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Access to books is not something necessarily I need, but. Um, I think that's really interesting to see that that's not just, I guess it's not just um, jargon that librarians right. and people who but think about this are throwing out that like, actual people, people are that. saying the same thing. They, they want it. Here's the thing from the future that I don't know how it's going to take uh, take off. So a DC, bookstores, independent bookstores we all know mm -hmm. have their own sets of challenges. So things are 
not as grim as they once were. Um, but this bookstore in Washington, D.C., and the page isn't loading for me right now. Ah, uh, It's the Teaching for Change teaching bookstore yeah, at Busboys and Poets. So it's 14th and Avenue V in D.C. They are per- making sponsorships for the bookstore available. Hmm. And one of them is you can sponsor a shelf mm-hmm. for a whole year. Twenty five hundred bucks. Huh. I don't know. I don't what know. is it? Okay. Oh well. Let's look at sponsor benefits. Yeah. Popular location. Your logo. Crowd. So your logo and your message, mm-hmm. I guess, go on your shelf that you sponsor. You get recognition at all their events. You're on their website. They yeah. work for social justice. So your you get... your your members of your organization association get ten percent off everything okay. in the store. Recognition from others. You and can then, sponsor activism sections, children's, bilingual, any section oh, of the store. Oh, cool. So it's not just a shelf. It's like yeah. a section. Interesting idea, I thought. I think that is an interesting idea. Like, I, I think I wonder hmm. what the return on investment really will be right. for the sponsors. Like, if it's just a, we care about our community and want the community to continue having this bookstore so we're going to give if you think about tax it as, deductible yeah tax I think deductible. if you think about it as a donation or for me at yeah. least framing it as a donation works more effectively than thinking of it as a sponsorship and a business mm-hmm. approach like you know i could see a Make it part of your charitable giving yeah thinking about like, like yeah. we give uh, riot media gives two percent of all of our revenue to an, a different Charity. organization every, every year, year. Yeah. um and we just think about like that's just a thing that we do it's not about getting any money back mm-hmm. or like promoting ourselves it's just a thing that we do so i could see like a, you know maybe we sponsored a bookshelf right. somewhere i could see doing that and thinking of it as charity i, I have a hard time believing that like you're really going to get much from the publicity yeah, aspects um, but it's a cool idea. It's creative. Yeah, it, that it's not profit makes the difference. Like if it was yeah. like a regular, like if it's politics and prose or something, right. like saying, yeah, ah, come on. I, right. I don't know yeah, so much Yeah, then it's that, a nonprofit but, bookstore definitely makes a difference. Um, but, you know, I like seeing people try stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm always a big fan of seeing people try stuff. I hope that stuff. they'll follow up. Like it would be cool to see who were the sponsors for the year. Mm-hmm. And what creative ideas they came up with. Like, if you were a literary, another literary group and you sponsored a shelf, maybe you also got to do, like, a table of your favorites. Or oh, that's interesting. involved yeah. in the store in yeah. some way. Um, I guess if you had enough members and they all got 10% off, you could, like, yeah. <laughs> between the tax, right. maybe yeah. you return on it. Depending <laughs> yeah. on books you buy. You could see it uh, do that way. Speaking of books, let's do our second sponsor. Yeah. You want to take this yes. one for us? Love is the Drug by Aliyah Don Johnson is back as our sponsor this week. It's been described as a combination of the Pelican brief by John Grisham and Michael Crichton's The Andromeda Strain, uh, but it's set at an elite Washington, D.C. prep school. Uh, I love the sound of this book, and some of you do too, because one of you commented on the last podcast and told us you went right out and bought it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I find that pretty compelling. The Pelican Brief meets the Andromeda Strain. Uh, it's so it's set at this elite Washington D.C. prep school. It's about a girl named Emily Bird who was, uh, ha- you know, raised to sort of look like she just was the perfect girl. She doesn't ask questions. She has perfect hair, the perfect boyfriend, the perfect, you know, Ivy League future lined up, but. At a party one night in D.C., she has a chance meeting with a Homeland Security agent. And she wakes up in the hospital days later with no memory of what happened that night. 
Um, meanwhile, like in the days that have intervened, while of which she has no memory, the world has fallen apart from this deadly flu virus that sweeps the nation. People are quarantined, there are curfews, there's martial mm. law, and the Homeland Security agent is certain that she knows something about it or that her parents' like top secret scientific work was somehow related to this flu. Um, but she doesn't remember and she only has this one person that she can trust uh, whose name is Coffee and he's an outsider genius who deals drugs to their classmates and is a conspiracy theory nut. Um, so it's about Bird, Emily Bird, the main character, and Coffee digging deeper into figuring out what really happened that night and possibly uncovering the mm. biggest government scandal in U.S. history. I was uh, looked her up after the show last week. Mm -hmm. I heard her name before, yeah. and I was just curious. She went to Columbia, mm -hmm. so she knows about the Ivy League thing. Oh, okay. And she lives in Mexico City now, which I thought was interesting oh, cool. as well. I think she was, she was an undergrad at Columbia while I was a, a grad student there, which I always find interesting. Mm. I probably saw her across the quad at some point. So thanks so much to Love of the Drug for sponsoring the show. Go check that out. Hmm, let's see. Where do we want to go? Talk about Amy Poehler. Yeah, let's do it. You got, Can we have Amy Poehler corner on every maybe episode? Maybe should just have now? an AmyPoehlerRiot.com. I, yeah. I would run AmyPoehlerRiot.com. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Amy Poehler has a book coming out in a couple of weeks called Yes, Please. It's her first memoir. And she has partnered with Wattpad, which is a like writing community yeah. site, um, to have the Yes, Please writing contest so the way that it works is how does it work it's a contest <laughs> <laughs> it's a contest for teen girls and so in the book amy talks about going through life saying yes to every opportunity that that she gets mm -hmm. um which you know that's where the title comes from and that it's really changed her life and given her you know, new and different opportunities than if she had said no to things, because that's how that works. Um, but if you're a teen girl with limited resources and no role models, there are very few opportunities um, to come across your path. What do you do then mm -hmm. if you're not Amy Poehler with, you know, cool things getting thrown at you left and right? So Girls Right Now, which is a great New York based organization that pairs writers with teen girls as mentors. And we've worked with them. They've been one of our um, charitable yep. partners in the past. They're great. They have teamed up with Amy Poehler's Smart Girls organization. And so they want uh, teen girls to submit essays to this Wattpad contest about what was the moment that your life changed because you said yes. Mm. What was your yes moment? Cool. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I think it's cool. Uh, and um, I haven't, I, I'm still. Is this book out yet? No. No, it comes out on the 28th of October. Not mm. that I'm looking forward to it at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think Parks and Rec debuts season premieres around the same time. No, that would be smart if it, it were around be. the same time. Uh, Leslie yeah, Nope could cool. read Amy Poehler's book. These, com these writing communities are a big deal. They are. Like, they're not something I pay a lot of attention yeah. to, like Wattpad and Smashwords and, and some of these Wattpad other things. Wattpad has gotten up big. new funding. Yeah, it's class. a big deal. Margaret Atwood does stuff yeah. with them. I think it's really cool that they're reaching out to teen writers. This is mm -hmm. the like smartest possible kind of partnership between Girls Right Now, which you know works with writing and mm -hmm. mentoring high school girls and providing opportunities to teen girls who wouldn't have those kinds of opportunities otherwise. And Amy Poehler's Smart Girls is a thing that lives on the internet where Amy Poehler makes videos answering mm -hmm. girls' questions about issues in life and they push out interesting information about other things that are happening in the culture. So this is just a cool, it's just a good idea. I wish we'd thought of this. Yes, I do too. Um, that's a good idea. Let's go to another good idea. We're going to go back up to the Great White North. 
um, to Canada. We're like part-time Canadians at this point. You know, we do some nice stuff up there. They do. They do some good stuff. So this is um, a, a program where Calgary police officers mm-hmm. um, are going. It's called the crime. It's a crime not to read is the program. And they're going to send 59 officers once a month to read to kids in grades one through three. Cool. There's been 30 minutes reading. Um, so they're, it's both as a way to get to show that reading is mm-hmm. important to people in authority, um, also to trust and like their police officers, yep. um, and talk about the virtues of reading. Yeah, so the, it looks like the city librarians provide the reading materials, mm-hmm. and the sessions are then followed by a chance for the kids to ask police officers their questions about their jobs, which is a different, you know, an, another avenue. It says here for positive interaction. So it's like books to keep kids off drugs. Yes, I like this. So they're like first, second, and third grades, which in Canada, who knows how old you are? You could be 15, you could be four, no one knows. <laughs> they do things differently they do, up there. The metric system, it's all confusing. <laughs> um, I'm guessing young kids. Though it would be sweet if it was like 19-year-olds or something. And the uh, funding, it's a $1 million program. The funding comes from the Burns West Foundation, which we can Google later, uh, and several of the city rotary clubs. Okay, so it's <laughs> privately funded. Yeah, also for... interesting partnerships between organizations with similar goals. Mm-hmm. Very cool. At this point, over 10,000 kids have participated in the program. Nice. Uh, that followed by a chance for the kids to ask questions about their jobs um, and find out about yeah. doing police work. So it would, or it would be better if they were sending the kids home with books. Yeah. Maybe some singing. Yeah, singing. In terms of dance. <laughs> We can show up. We can do our Frank Sinatra number. Yeah, we for, can. We have yeah. one. Yeah, the, Listeners, yeah. Jeff and I have one, one Frank, Sinatra. Frank Sinatra number. Oh, we, work, we work on that in our off hours. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's go. Turkey of the week. Turkey of the week. <laughs> Such a turkey. Like, normally I just ignore these. Yeah. But this one just got me... Uh, I just got all fired up. The Guardian. Will Self and The Guardian. He's one of their big literary critics. He also looks extremely severe in his uh, profile picture. He does! He's like... He looks like maybe evil William Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For sure. Um... Basically, it's a big article talking about how reading is dead and we're all going to die and there's no serious readers anymore and everything's okay. worse. And so those editorials happen all the time. All the time. And they're always annoying. And we, d- we don't talk about that often because we're not. Because, yeah, most of the time, right. like we get mad about them on Twitter. And, and like some of you guys who listen to the show will tweet and be like, did you see this yeah. thing? And we're like, yeah, we saw that thing. And it's so <laughs> annoying that we can't even talk about it. But where Will Self really upset me is he's, uh, he's like, oh, Oh, the internet people read differently like I just can't imagine that serious reading is ever going to be a thing you can you can feel him wringing his hands through the internet interesting that he published this thing about how the internet is ruining reading on an online publication mm-hmm. right <laughs> but then he goes on to be like well the data are mixed about what the internet is doing to the way that we, we read so he acknowledges that. He presents no data, but he says the data are mixed. And then he proceeds to, for several paragraphs, ignore that the data are mixed, to just talk about how he's certain, regardless of the fact that the data are mixed, that the internet is changing the way that we read, that people won't be capable of quote-unquote serious reading or deep analysis anymore. It's basically Will Self knowing that like the authorities of literary criticism don't have the same place in the culture that they used to have because now anyone can have an opinion about a book and talk about it publicly and get an audience uh, mm. on the internet. Like, I think this is really what Will Self is mad about, that like his, his lawn is getting smaller and he wants people off of it. Let me read you the last. <laughs> 
Um, none of this, however, counts for anything when it comes to the future of our literary culture. Its fate is already sealed, dun, dun, dun. and there's no going back. I began this provocation by describing what I think of as deep reading, the kind of reading that serious books demand, and I promised that I would also discuss writing, the kind of writing that's intended to be read deeply. But really, there's no point in this, because such writing depends for its existence on deep readers, and in the near future, such deep readers will be in very short supply. There's like a couple of like bingo spots for this. One is that back in the day, it's kind of like um, when bison roamed North America. There are all these bison. Like, you know, there's all these serious readers out there. Agricultural metaphors are so yeah. much better in person. And, <laughs> because of my arm uh-huh. pictures. Uh, and we had all, and everything, there was great, and there was diversity, and, but then we came along with our internet guns mm-hmm. and shot all of the reader bison. And now they're all gone. This is and like a weird no, game of Oregon Yeah, job. right. We're all dying of diphtheria. <laughs> and now, you know, there's no point anymore. I, first of all, <laughs> I don't know, who were these deep readers in the 70s, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of white dudes, uh-huh. right? You know, like who, who had access, who had leisure time, I think. Who were appointed as them, authorities, yeah. yeah. You know, that's one thing that there's always this sort of demographic component that's embedded in these kinds of attacks that we don't tend to th- realize. Mm-hmm. Um, the next time sort of a woman of color makes one of these attacks on books, they don't pay attention, right? Very interesting. Because like they're, they're the, the, the guy, the, the white novelists of the 70s are the ones that are having their pond dry up. Right. And that, I think that means, I think, because that means there must be no more water. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, that Will Self finds himself yeah. less relevant and, and people who like do the kinds of writing and reading that he does in the culture to be less relevant they've been made less relevant. So he assumes that right. no reading is relevant. But, and we're gonna talk about this book in a minute, and this is a book that a bunch of our people are reading. Mm-hmm. Lila by Marilyn Robinson yes. comes out this week. A bunch of our people on Book Riot, a bunch of our listeners are excited about oh, yeah. seeing people on Twitter. To, like, there are people reading the kinds of books I think that he's talking about. Yeah. They're like, that's about philosophy and right. faith Life. and identity mm-hmm. and all the kinds of things you want people to do. I, I just don't see, maybe, I think maybe the kinds of people are moving from that are changing and maybe the kinds of maybe he's right the kinds of deep reading deep readers Mm. he's used to maybe they are changing but I think they're not because serious readers are going away maybe they're on the internet now and he doesn't want to be there I don't know what he's looking for I mean if we've learned anything in three years of doing this it's that book culture is not getting smaller back in the day I guess you could write a mid-list novel and you could sell you know you could make enough to not have to have a teaching gig Mm -hmm. or something I don't know that that's a marker for anything mm-hmm. interesting at all. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. So, again, he it's might a, be right. He might be right that my species is dying. Yeah. But, but when one species right. dies, something else comes right. in Right, his place. species dying doesn't mean that there's no interest yeah. in any And species. his species is getting sort of getting uh, conflated with right. serious books, yeah. interesting thinking, right. smart people. And right. like that, that's the kind of thing and that drives me freaking weird, crazy. there's this weird, gross sort of implied thing that I don't think he even realizes that he's doing that it, it basically says that his kind of reading and is his kind right of kind. thinking and is yeah. the only valid yeah, right. kind and that if other people read in other ways or talk about their reading in other ways, other people who aren't privileged middle-aged white guys, mm-hmm. then that's not as valid or as interesting or as important to the culture. And frankly, if that's the bison that dies out, like 
privileged middle-aged white guys <laughs> for a moment in book culture and most American culture for the last, like, what, couple hundred years? Like, it's an important voice to have, but there are so many other voices that if that one gets quieted for a little while, yeah, or it, just even takes it back a few I mean, he tries to mitigate it by saying, you know, uh, you know, I don't think the telephone, the radio, film, or the television made our culture any more stupid or ignorant. I believe that our society and others will prefer to preserve its storehouse of knowledge and use digital media to develop new forms of understanding, including what it means to be literate. As to whether such depends on what is effectively a monetized intellectual prosthesis will impact, negatively impact your culture, the answer has to be an emphatic yes. Unless, that is, the new web-dependent generation seek their own liberations from the shackles of late capitalism. Oh my god, the shackles? <laughs> yeah, just as their foremothers and fathers won concessions from those who own... So, like, not only is serious reading going away, but publishing novels <laughs> was free from the constraints of capitalism. Yes, yeah, publishing novels is totally free right. of any capitalistic concerns at all. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still mad about data are mixed, but here are my absolute statements and conclusions. You know what? If the data are mixed, you can just totally abstain from making sweeping generalizations. Uh, the, other th the other thing I don't like about statements like this is my own sensibility gets offended too but also other people who are reading books and are young yeah. and don't know that this kind of thing is contingent and historically located and just one dude's opinion mm -hmm. see it as some sort of like well, you're not reading what I was reading and how I was reading and therefore things are going to be terrible and it makes you feel like crap. Yeah. And you don't. Read what you want. You're it's, doing fine out like, there. You're doing fine. You are. You're reading. You care about books. Like It's an interesting thing that kind of happens in the back channels at Book Riot yes. too where we all have some story at some point of like thinking that the thing we were reading wasn't good enough. Right. And then you talk to someone else who loves that thing and you find out that lots of readers like that thing. And the internet has been wonderful for that, for yes. making communities for people who read books that weren't getting the mainstream coverage or that were like marginalized genres, I guess. Um, anyway. yeah, it's just not, this is just not what we should be doing. If we want reading culture to thrive and grow, we should not be writing editorials about how reading culture is certainly dead. Well, it's also too, like he uses this sort of evolutionary, historical, materialist sort of almost Marxist thinking of history about like, well, this thing is going to come replace this other right. thing. What he doesn't think of is it can enhance, it can alter, but like books can still be around while Twitter is still mm -hmm. around. Just like, you know, horseshoe crabs are still around while humans are still yes. around. Our existence has not wiped. I mean, we've done some damage and things yeah. have changed, but there are still creatures out there that are hundreds of millions mm -hmm. of years old. The body of a shark hasn't fundamentally changed in 250 million years. The codex, you know, that's a fancy person's way of saying printed book, can still stick around. Right. We're going to, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. These things can exist side by side. In fact, they are existing. Well, actually, you know what? I don't know that it's going to be okay. Yeah. It, it might not be okay. It might be okay. Sure. I think the most reasonable assumption is we don't know. Yeah. And depends on what okay is right. to you. If like all I want is for books in some fashion to continue to exist. Right. I just want to have enough good books in the world that I can read for the rest of my life. Yeah. And other readers can read for the rest of theirs. But yeah. Yeah. So things, it might be okay. We'll self, you're a turkey. Yeah. Well, let's do one more story and then we get to new books. We didn't even have it on the agenda, but I just realized that we did this agenda before we started traveling. Uh -huh. You know what I'm going to say? No. The Nobel Prize for Literature. <laughs> oh, right. That happened. This that week. happened yesterday. Patrick Modiano, a French novelist, uh, won the 2014 Nobel Prize for Literature. And nobody knows anything about it. I mean, or Americans. Yes. Like, um, I went scrambling to Wikipedia to do a link and a thing. I mean, 
Not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Did you read anything about him at all yesterday? No, I read like one or two things that were mostly about how his works are not widely translated yeah, that English. Yeah, English. So can't get ebook version of an English. Yeah, it's so like very few American readers know him because his books are not yeah. available here. Um, but that's all I. That's all I got. I uh, he was born in the '40s and um, had a very difficult childhood. And you know, his his dad was a Jew. You can imagine in mm-hmm. France in the '40s. You know what was going on there? Not so easy. Um, it's you know. I was reading some of the synopses that France Today, I'll put a link in the show notes, this had the best sort of profile that I found that was available at the moment of the announcement. But like some of the descriptions, like one of his books is called Out of the Dark, and it's about his relationship with the enigmatic Jacqueline. I was like, mm. and he's like this silver haired, good looking, older French novelist who writes about his mom and memory and identity and enigmatic lovers. Like he's like out of central casting for French novelists. <laughs> like I, he's like, oh, I, I kind of love that. Yeah, it's like he's like the French Philip Roth as far as you can tell, which makes, <laughs> must make Philip Roth just insanely mad. Um, so that's his name. Like Philip Roth, if Philip Roth had game. Yeah, apparently, I mean, listen, you win the Nobel Prize for literature, you have game, I know nothing about him. Doesn't sound like my particular yeah. cup of tea, um, but that's um, worth talking about out there. 15 French people have won the Nobel wow. Prize out of 127 that's awards. That's not a bad hit rate. Yeah, a little high, it seems to me. Oh, um, you see what I'm getting uh, at here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jeff just winked at me. Yeah, I, I did. I did. That's what we call nonverbal communication. <laughs> I, I use it every well, what we uh, have, uh, so. we, An American novelist hasn't won since Toni Morrison in 1993. 1993. We did have Alison Monroe last year, which I kind of like North American. Okay, right. So an American novelist. A United States, yeah, yeah, but North American, yeah, Alice Monroe. Um, the other sort of front runner, Mercado, is always bandied about. Mm-hmm. Bob um, Dylan. They always talk. There's always really talk about Bob Dylan. Happen. I think that would be so cool. And the internet would just implode on itself. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, yeah, good for good for congratulations to Pat, Patrick Modiano. I wouldn't if you want to go read him, you're going to have to place an order mm-hmm. at your local bookstore. Right. You can it, find translations in hard, yeah. uh, you know, physical copies. It will be helpful to you if you can read French. Yes, if you want to go out there and read <laughs> French. French. I'm sure some of you can. Yeah. Um, I want I want to say one rant, oh, yeah. slightly ranty thing about it is that happens around awards but usually particularly around the nobel mm. is people seem to conflate i've never heard of this person with this person should not have won mm-hmm. and there's I, yesterday i saw some of it you know perhaps because so many people love murakami and would love to see him win um, yeah. you know you want to see a writer whose work you love win i can imagine if tony morrison had not won the nobel that i would be pulling for her yes. every year uh, to get it but there's always a lot of like well how could he win i've never heard of him that's not how it works. The world is big, folks. Yeah, and I think uh, Rachel Fershleiser said it really well on t- on a Twitter yesterday. It's like, shouldn't we be excited that major literary awards are not just reinforcing the fame of the people we already know, but that are you know introducing us to writers mm-hmm. that we would not, I would not have heard of Patrick Modiano. Well, I'm sure. I'm this. sure the French for Alice Monroe are like were like who? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, who knows? I mean, I know how much in translation she is, but you, I'm sure there are countries out there that didn't have a lot of Alice Monroe translations mm-hmm. readily available at their bookstores. So, and yeah, I, I totally yeah, agree. Yeah, that you haven't heard of someone does it not... It can be disappointing because you don't feel like you have to play Right, you know? but that's not the... That's not the point. It's not the same thing as, why did they win? I've never heard yeah. of them. So just let's be cool. Everybody just be cool. Right. Now, if it's someone you know and have read and you think they, they're no good, yeah. well, that's a different story, I guess, maybe. But just uh, play cool. Okay. New books. Yeah, let's do. We'll be yeah, one more sponsor, sponsor which back. is super cool. Horror store, which is by Grady Hendrix, is a horror story set in a haunted superstore.
store that's like an Ikea. Yes. It's called Orsk. Uh, set in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and every morning, employees arrive to find broken wardrobes and shattered glassware mm. and like vandalism. The sofa beds are ripped and torn. So like something or someone is up to no good. And to unravel the mystery of it, five young employees volunteer for a dusk till dawn shift. Mm. And they will encounter the horrors that defy imagination. <laughs> It also has social commentary on the nature of work in the new mm. in the new 21st century economy. And this is the best part. This book is packaged to look like an Ikea catalog. Like an Ikea catalog. It looks exactly like it. Yeah, and even the layout on the inside. Um, I had, I think I showed this on YouTube and like held up the pages. The formatting inside also looks like an Ikea catalog. And there are illustrations and it's really funny and clever quirk books um, put this out. And like Kirkus said, it was Polonic tinged satire, mm. like a little darkness, a little edge on the satire, but also just, you know, sort of a parody and a horror story. Like if you, if you liked the evil dead or zombie land, that gotcha. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's horror store, all one word, no E. No on e. The end. And just the, like the, the, the like final O has umlauts. Yes. Um, so that it, it's really a lot of fun. I've had a good time seeing the book. And now, thank you to Horror Store for sponsoring. Now we're going to talk about new books. New books, and I'm holding in my hands. That, this is our marquee title. This is the marquee mm-hmm. title of the year for me, no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lila Marilyn Robinson, the third book in, I guess, what is now her Gilead series, I guess you might say. I have, do we have an official ruling on what we call this? We don't us? have a – I think of them as the Gilead books. The Gilead books, yeah. Gilead Home is the second one, and this one is Lila. Um small town in Iowa, a mm-hmm. fictional small town called Gilead, and different characters' point of view about this sort of family system yeah. and the neighbors um, next door. It's gotten unbelievable reviews, long listed for the National Book Award already. Mm-hmm. Uh, some nice blurbs on the back. I've seen nothing but extraordinary praise for mm-hmm. it. I have it sort of set yeah, aside just, for some sort we're of... We're just sitting here like with a shrine. To well, <laughs> you and I are kind of the same way. And some, some, we use books kind of as our secular scripture. Yeah. And this is... Um, this is canon. Mm-hmm. Marilyn and Tony. She's like the high priestess. I, I, yeah, I don't know who else is in your scripture. Mm. Oh, Terry Tempest Williams. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, I, okay, that's not mine. And actually, I, so I'm rereading Gilead uh, yes. now. Yeah. And I was reading on the train and thinking about how it's like Marilyn Robinson and Terry Tempest Williams are doing the same thing, mm. but one does it, Terry does it in essays and Marilyn writes fiction. But these like very quiet, but yeah. very thoughtful meditations on family and faith and community and... It's so Memory great. and relationships Memory, and yeah. all the wax. Right. If you've not read Gilead, the... Go there. Start there. Yes. Yeah, for sure start, start there. there. Um, I'm sure this is, gr- I'm sure this is great, but I'm telling Gilead is amazing. written as a, a very long letter yes. or a series of letters that um, the narrator, who's 76, yeah, John Ames, is an eight, he's an old pastor in has, Iowa. Has a young wife and a young son. Yeah. And he's writing about his life and their family and his faith and sort of the world, how wonderful yeah. the world It's kind of an accounting is. of his own personal story, but also his accounting of his sort of of ontology of how he understands things to yeah. be and the questions he still has it's and the mistakes so, he's it's made. It's just so beautiful. It's beautiful. So that's that's the big one. And it's not very long. Um, you know, it's good for a Sunday morning. It's only a couple hundred pages. Yeah, and it's it's several, it's kind of a prequel. Like this, uh, yeah. Lila is a, John Ames' young Younger wife. wife. And right. several, several decades. decades. And Lila is about how she finds her way to the town and how they meet and the early parts of their relationship. Right, because home was concurrent with Gilead. Like, yeah. It was, a, it was, it was like, like a meanwhile. Yeah, meanwhile. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. This one is before. Mm-hmm. And I'm still hoping for the after. 
Yeah. You know what? I, you know the story. Well, we've talked about this yeah. before. I'm not going to spoil it. There's one. I, I would love. I want as many as she wants. But oh, there's exactly. one that I want for sure. Um, that I like to see. That's the Maryland. big one. Should we write her? This Do you think she? Oh, there was an awesome profile at Times. Did you read that I by Wyatt Mason? No. Wyatt Mason, awesome profile of Marilyn Robinson. You should absolutely read it if you're into it. I'll drop a link in the show notes. We're done. Best American Short Stories. Is, all the best American things are yeah, out. They're all. This they're is the season. But and Jennifer Egan's the editor of. Um, the best American short, which is kind of the flagship. I think so. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, it's the one from like that's the one that I look forward to every year. And so the people at Houghton Mifflin collect all of these entries over the course of the year of great short stories that have been published. And then the guest editor is a different writer every year. And this mm. year it's Jennifer Egan, and they help narrow it down. They curate the final selection and then write an introduction to the collection about what they saw in these different stories or if there's any unifying theme. I just think it's great because you'll get some names yeah. that you recognize. There's like you just yeah, can't like the, you you can't have a best American no, short stories year without Joyce Carol Oates, um, but then there will always be names that you've not heard mm-hmm. before, and you can discover great you know new to you writers that way. Like Roxane Gay had a story in the collection last year. Oh, I didn't know that. That was the first of her fiction that I had read because I am not good about subscribing to literary mm-hmm. journals, so I read. And by that. not good about means I don't. I don't do it, it at all. Me but like it was a chance to see her fiction before her novel came out, and that was pretty cool. Um, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. Oh, we almost oh, talked oh, right sorry, there. Sorry, no, 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 no. Sorry. It just made me realize I do deals.bookwriter.com. I oh, yeah. They do some deals, and most of the 2013 Best American whatevers mm-hmm. were on sale for three bucks digitally like, oh, this nice. week. Like mystery stories, mm-hmm. short stories. So if you like to catch up and you want to do any, you can go get those yeah. super cheap. Just They're also them. all in Oyster. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I used to have, I was just looking for it. I used to have a big shelf of all my best American short stories, mm-hmm. but I think I got rid of them when we moved in yeah. with the kids in the different apartment. Well, they're all in Oyster now. So you they're can... all in Oyster. So they're not, they're gone, but not forgotten. Yeah. I think um, those are great. I like to like read one story yeah, a day yeah, yeah. for a while. Best, best American Comics is out. Mm-hmm. That, that's awesome. Scott McCloud, who yeah. wrote Understanding Comics. There's some saga in there too. Editor. There's some saga in there. Yeah. Um, oh, I, got, okay. yeah I got Best American Infographics in yeah. the mail and it's yeah. awesome. Cool. Uh, so other, more new books, because we're just excited. <laughs> this week. Um, Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End by Atul Gawande is out. Um, he's a physician. His first book was called Complications, and it was about like the complications that occur um, in medical practice and mm-hmm. how you handle that as a physician. This is about end-of-life mm-hmm. issues. Uh, I have not read it yet, but it's about how medicine can not only improve your life, but also the process of ending it. And so he looks at um, the history and sort of how our medical treatments have evolved so that people are living longer, but end-of-life care is now more of a concern than it was before. And the end of life can take a long time and can raise a lot of difficult questions. Um, I love like sort of a medical philosophy ethics book. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a weird, I've never written about that, but that's like a thing that I love to uh, read about. It, so, yeah, I just, I was, my brain immediately went to um, filling out the category with other things. We don't need to do that right now. Paperback, <laughs> a, a skinny one and a fat one. Yeah, the skinny one. Department of Speculations by Jenny Offal, which you've read. I, I loved it. You recommended for me, and I still haven't gotten You're, it. It's going to ring all of your little yeah, tuck. I'm, one of these times. Yeah, I married you for happiness yes. spells. It's, it is a skinny little novel um, about a marriage that's in trouble. It's narrated by uh, the woman in the story and uh, like she and her husband are having problems he's cheated there's a child in the you know in the marriage and they're just trying to figure things out mm-hmm. and it's not a linear narrative it's sort of written in like little vignettes but her writing is gorgeous and i just thought it was so insightful and incisive um there's so much fiction about 
like marriage and intimate relationships or like long-term committed relationships, but I feel like very little of it actually nails Hmm. that the real complexity of sharing your life with someone else. Um, and Jenny awful did that. And here's the big one. one? I haven't, I, I kind of want to read it, but it's like 800 pages. It said in 18th or 19th century Australia, mm-hmm. and which you just know tons about, right? Uh, kangaroos. Um, <laughs> it's called The Luminaries by Eleanor Kent. I should say Jenny Offal. Her last name is O F F I L L. I know mm-hmm. it sounds like A W F U L, but if you're looking for it, um, anyway, The Luminaries by Eleanor Kent won last year's Booker Prize. Mm-hmm. Big novel. The people we know who've read it love it, mm-hmm. as far as I remember. Yeah, yeah. Greg Zimmerman, one yeah. of our contributors, keeps notes about all of his yes. reading, but he put up like a giant Evernote document yeah. about all of his notes from the Luminaries. Good wintertime book, yeah. immersive, yeah. Yeah. mystery at the heart of it. Way less in paperback yes. to carry it around. <laughs> excellent, excellent point. Um, but those are two, I mean, that was a big deal of the Luminaries oh, last yeah. year. Um, a lot of people really liked that. And I got a, a, I've got a big someday maybe want to get around to, and that's mm-hmm. squarely on, on those. Maybe if I ever take a, a ocean voyage, oh. like a long one, not a short. Are you ocean gonna pack voyage. your trunk? A short with ocean dusty voyage. Dusty tomes. Like those, a short, where can one take a short ocean voyage? I don't know. Maybe if you're going to like uh, Bermuda. Like we're not talking about. Are we talking about a cruise? If you take a cruise, something like a sails. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Something takes a lot of time. Else does all that better stuff to do. And you just right. read. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I'm, I'm perfect actually for ocean voyages. I'm extremely tall, mm-hmm. uncoordinated, uh, motion, horribly motion. Yeah. So, yeah, this is yeah. great. It's going to go well right. for you. Yeah. So um, sign me up for that. I also make a wonderful astronaut. So I think that's our show. That is our show. That's our show. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Reading Ape. She's at Rebecca Shinsky. SCH. S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. You can drop us a line about the show if you've got a comment or a question or something you'd be interested in. If Jeff was wrong about something else this week. Yeah, if on the off chance I was wrong, you can email us at podcast at bookwright.com. You can find the show notes for this and all of our shows at bookwright.com slash reading lives, as I said before. Slash podcast. Slash podcast. I was jumping ahead to, (laughs) if you're interested in the interview podcast I do with interesting people about their life and books, you can find that at bookwright.com slash reading lives. My guest this week is Peter Mendelson. Very interesting there and uh, if you want to leave us a note on itunes a review a rating we like that it helps other people find the show and we'll be back uh, next week thanks thanks everybody